0: I'm Rob.
1: I'm Michelle. And
0: this is Two Two Librarians librarians Walking to to a Shelf. Today is episode 20. Can you believe that? 20 episodes.
1: I can't believe they let us talk for 20 episodes. I can't believe
0: they let us talk after like three of them. Yeah, me neither. They didn't stop us.
1: Okay, guys, that's enough.
0: Somebody stop them. <laughs> Come back with my library. But... <laughs> <laughs> so today, what are we talking about?
1: We're talking about some digital picks, some books and whatever that we picked from our Hoopla selections and from our Overdrive selections.
0: Hoopla, Hoopla, Hoopla-dee-doo. I have a story on Hoopla for you.
1: No, oh, Rob. <laughs>
0: I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Overdrive. I finally am finding some stuff on Overdrive, which um, I, I think Hoopla spoiled me. Hoopla has all the good stuff.
1: It does have a little bit of everything.
0: Overdrive, to me, reminds me of, like, Blockbuster Video. Like, they had all those selections of all the newest stuff, and it was all clean and neat, and there was always all, all these... <laughs> selections, right. but you couldn't find anything too weird. But then you went to a
1: weird like po- family video store.
0: Well, yeah. Quote unquote family, you know, something family owned, family owned, a mom and pop, you know, crunchy video. Then that's where you found the weirdest, craziest stuff that you didn't even know existed. And that's what hoopla is to me. But, you know, there's something to be said about going into the nice overdrive and finding Best selling books, and, and there's best sellers on Hoopla, but.
1: I, I like that you called it crunchy because my first pick for Hoopla is very wholesome. Uh oh. So that's just funny, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with Hoopla, it's a digital ebook and audiobook checkout model that's completely different from a traditional ebook or audiobook checkout model. Each library user gets five checkouts per month, no waiting and no holds lists, and there are often large lists of bonus borrows each month that don't count against your five checkouts. So it's like a hybrid model between a streaming service and a library service.
0: Right. And they also offer a ton of audiobooks, a ton of movies. Anybody that's reading my blog knows that I've been picking out movies from Hoopla for months now. And I've got more coming up for the holiday season. And graphics. I, does Overdrive
1: have graphic novels? Uh, sometimes, but not like Hoopla does.
0: Hoopla has an amazing yeah. amount. I have just found a ton of stuff graphic-wise on there. So, yeah. So, it, two different things. Overdrive is more of a library.
1: Yeah, it's a traditional library model. One book equals one checkout at a time. Yeah. Uh, so, there's holds lists. Sometimes those lists get kind of long. But Hoopla has um, more instant gratification for the streaming age.
0: We offer both, and
1: we've got stuff to talk about on both of them. So. What do you got? Uh, My first pick, it's on Hoopla. It's actually a whole series by Robin Carr. It's the Virgin River series. It's billed as a romance series, but it's not a typical romance series and where it's only about the two main characters. So, like, there's lots of characters in the small town where the series takes place, and you get different story plots from the different characters throughout the books and also throughout the series on Netflix. So there's two seasons of the series on Netflix right now, and there's a whole bunch of books that follow each of these characters throughout the town and the plots within. So the books are the, the first one is called Virgin river. Basically the books start with a nurse practitioner, midwife, Mel decides to move to a completely new way of life after losing her husband. So she answers a job ad in the paper to move to be a nurse midwife. And basically someone has offered to pay for her room and board. If she would come and work here, she gets there like, her promised house is dilapidated and full of woodsy critters. The doctor doesn't want her there. You know, people are meddling in her life, and she's not so sure it was a good idea. But as it turns out, like, she finds a love interest and makes friends along the way. And, you know, there's mystery plots. There's murder. There's unsavory marijuana growers in the woods. Like, oh, yeah. So Mel becomes endeared to Virgin River. And the host of quirky characters, including the bar owner, Jack Sheridan, who may just be the man to make her smile again. The first novel in the series, called Virgin River, is built around people finding love where they least expected. And it's full of small-town hijinks, new relationships, a little romance, and a lot of drama.
0: You know, uh, it sounds like that book that we did for the Bookmas Exchange, the Jill Chavez Hot Winter Nights, That was part of a bigger story where all the stories were about the people that worked in that building. Okay. Is that common for the romance series where it centers around a group of people, whether it's a village, a town, a building, apartments, whatever?
1: Yeah. Usually if you have a romance series... Each installment of the series will be about a connected character in some way,
0: and they all kind of intertwine. Right, so you get to know all the characters. Mm-hmm. But is the show like that, where each story is about a different character, or is
1: it? The focus is on Mel and Jack, but there's a whole lot of town characters that also have plots that you're interested in mysteries or like secrets, or you know, is so and so going to find out about this hijinks? And I, and the books, the first book is like that too. It's it's about mal and jack but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on so it's clear it was meant to be like a wide range of books and not just laser focus
0: right it was setting up this whole big world yeah gotcha so it's it's
1: like it's a comfort watch and a
0: comfort read so how does the series compare to the books pretty true to the books like it's the same enjoyment
1: it's the same enjoyment i think it's Done an okay job sticking to the original, but I translating a book to a movie doesn't always exactly work. You got to make or a book to a show. You got to make some editorial adjustments to keep it interesting in a different format.
0: So I found one of my favorite authors. That's hard. He's always been hard to find. Sean Hudson. He's a UK author, and this is an example of how the internet has made the world more connected. I guess. So back in the '90s, if you wanted to read a Sean Hudson book. He had one breakout novel called Slugs, which is a great story about man-eating slugs. No. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was kind of inspired by uh, <laughs> the Rats, the James Herbert book. James Herbert was the UK's Stephen King. He outsold Stephen King his whole career, and he started with a book called The Rats, and that kind of kicked off all those killer crabs and killer jellyfish and killer (laughs) zebras and killer ants and so at the very end of that cycle sean hudson being a young guy who read those books when he was in school contributed slugs which then spawned the amazing movie of the same name
1: (laughs) slugs slugs
0: So anyway, a couple of his books were released in the U.S. when Slugs was popular. But then after that, and and he wrote a ton of stuff. But back then, if you wanted to read one, you had to go to a book dealer. And then that book dealer would make a big deal like, oh, Sean Hudson. That's an import book. That's going to cost a lot. And so like you would end up paying 20 bucks for a paperback that really at that time shouldn't have been more than Five or six bucks. But if you wanted to read it, that's that's what you had to do. The Internet now has connected us in all these wonderful ways. And on Hoopla, not only did I find this Sean Hudson novel monolith, but there's a ton of them that I never caught up with. So I am so excited to find him. Um, he's not for all tastes, but uh, he's definitely a genre writer who enjoys spilling a couple buckets of blood uh, along the way. So Monolith is a story about a new building being constructed in London by a wealthy Russian businessman and all the horrible accidents plaguing the structure. More than normal deaths have occurred to workers on the site as well as delivery people and everyday people visiting uh, the building. There's a dark secret hidden in there. There's something going on in the rich Russian guy's penthouse on the top floor. Of course. Of course. There's all these weird omen-esque accidents where elevators are crushing guys' heads and cutting people in half and all kinds of nutty stuff with the wiring and the plumbing. And one of the weird things is whenever there's an accident, they don't find a drop of blood anywhere. (gasps) Where's it going? You know? Who knows? Like, it's a building. (laughs) But there's,
1: Clean up on aisle three.
0: <laughs> there's a there's a newspaper reporter, Jessica Anderson, and she knows something's up, and so she's going to be that determined reporter that's going to keep nosing in to where, like, it doesn't matter how dangerous it gets, she's just going to keep on running into this building that seems to be eating people and try to expose what's going on. And this is a fun. Horror book. This is for people who just want a fast, quick read. It's descriptive and it's told with Hudson's knack for fast dialogue between characters. Seriously, graphic mayhem and just a breakneck pace uh, with a lot of monster payoff in the climax. And there's a there's a little bit of a twist there, just like all of his books. There's something just quirky enough. They're not your run of the mill horror books, and I I can't recommend Sean Hudson enough. I've always enjoyed him. Like, he had me at Slugs. And then when he (laughs) did the sequel, Breeding Crown, which is not available on Hoopla, but...
1: Is it about Slugs? It's
0: about super Slugs. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, this guy can make a horror story out of anything. Is it a classic? No, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to be entertaining. Right. And it certainly was. Okay. What else you got?
1: Well, I think it's funny that you found an an older author that you like rediscovered because I also did that. So on a summer trip with my family, I like 98 or so, I remember browsing the paperback section of the grocery store in the the beach town where we were. And I needed a book so I could ignore my family on vacation, you know?
0: (laughs) Sure. I do.
1: So, (laughs) so I found this book called eternity road by Jack McDevitt. I read the back and was intrigued and, you know, read it while we were on vacation. So I found it on hoopla and I started reading it again to see if I liked it just as much now as I did then. And actually, it's it's engaging and interesting, and it's not greasy like some science fiction novels can get. Sure. So I'm appreciating that. So it's set in a future United States where people, they now call their ancestors the Roadmakers because that's about all that's left. Interstates and roads, some buildings, but mostly interstates and billboards. Okay. So they call us the Roadmakers, uh, the main character Shaka misses her brother, who's gone to find the mythical roadmaker city of Haven, but he never returned. And she's inherited a family heirloom, an artifact from the roadmakers, a book called "A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court." Oh, so I was like, okay, that's fun. The uh-huh. only like the only last thing anyone has of like us now is a Mark Twain novel. So she's inspired to follow in her brother's footsteps to find Haven and discover the secrets of their ancestors. So this book has everything. (laughs) Bloodthirsty river pirates, electronic ghosts who mourn their lost civilization, flying sentient machines, a Mark Twain book, and a secret about civilization's past. So there's really no romance in this book. Like I said, sometimes science fiction can get a little greasy. There's none of that. And uh, it's like a road trip story if our highways were deserted. Okay. So she like goes on this road trip with some other people trying to discover the city. And along the way, they find their river pirates and, you know, other dangers of a science fiction nature. That sounds awesome. It actually was really good. And so then uh, I decided to pick up another book by Jack McDevitt. But the one I got it actually checked out from our system in like in the flesh.
0: Oh, I got gotcha.
1: a digital copy because the next one I wanted to read was that one. So gotcha. I thought that was interesting. So, yeah, Eternity Road by Jack McDevitt. It's more like speculative fiction instead of science fiction, but maybe science fiction for if you're not into epic space operas.
0: All right, the next one that I found is called Frozen Hell, and that's by John W. Campbell, Jr. John W. Campbell, Jr. was one of the greats in the penny-a-word pulp fiction days. Mm. He was definitely a part of the golden age of pulp science fiction. And he wrote a ton of stuff and then became one of the more influential editors, kind of leaving the writing behind. Mm-hmm. There's a couple collections of his short stories on Hoopla, but I gravitated towards Frozen Hell because it's the extended version of Who Goes There. And this is the classic science fiction story about the scientists and the Antarctic who find an alien, and the alien's a shapeshifter. And so if that sounds familiar, it's because it was made into the 1951 classic, The Thing from Another World, and then remade into an even better movie in 1981 as John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: It also sounds like X-Files.
0: X-Files was definitely, definitely influenced by those penny-a-word pulps from back in the day. So the original novella, Who Goes There?, it was one of the last things that he had published as a writer, and he actually published it getting into editing. So he felt like the story started too soon. So he cut it, and he basically cut the first three chapters roughly and kind of rewrote chapter four, and that's where the classic novella Who Goes There starts. Frozen Hell starts from the second that they find the alien and everything that goes up to then. And I have to say, I really have enjoyed revisiting this extended version of this text, which has just been found, I think this was like two years ago, they finally found it. It was kind of a legendary, like, you know, there was these missing chapters, but no one's ever found them. Well, they found them because all those papers are in uh, an archive at, I forget the college that, that it's in, but somebody was doing a study of his work, got access to the archives and found a file that said Frozen Hell, and it had the original story Whoa. Every word of it in there. So they're like, oh, the world needs this. And uh, so that was like a big deal a couple years ago when this came out. So I was thrilled to find this on Hoopla. Uh, If you're a fan of science fiction, horror kind of books and movies, I would definitely recommend this. This is a great Golden Age era sci-fi pulp story. And really, you read it. And if you're only familiar with the movies, whether it's the 51 version or The Carpenter, uh, the Carpenter's actually a much truer adaptation of the original story. Interesting. Yeah. They could only do so much with it in 1951, but by, sure. a, by 81, the technology for special effects was there and to do the shape-shifting stuff. So there's a lot. I think if you never read it but you only know the Carpenter version, you're going to be shocked that this stuff was in the original version of the story to begin with. So I definitely recommend that. It's uh, Frozen Hell, John W. Mm-hmm. Campbell, Jr., Actually, Hoopla has both Frozen Hell and Who Goes There available. So if you want to read both of them, you can do that back to back and kind of compare them. And audiobooks for both of them are available, too.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I'm almost finished with it. I've read past the new stuff, so I'm in the part that I'm familiar with. But it's just a joy to, to always revisit this one every couple of years. Cool. What else you got?
1: Well, my next pick, it's from Overdrive. It's a nonfiction. It's a memoir. Open book by Jessica Simpson. So if you're familiar with Jessica Simpson, she's pop star in like late nineties, early two thousands, and she's you know, she still does stuff. I was at the right age to like kind of be into her not necessarily pop music. I mean I like pop music, but it wasn't my favorite. And then when she had her T V show with Nick Lachey, Newlyweds on M T V like I was into that. I don't know why. I think I don't know. It was just there was nothing else on. It was cozy. Yeah. Comfort. I enjoyed it. And her like, is this chicken or is this fish?
0: (laughs) She talks about
1: that that in the book about how she's like, well, she's like, I'm always kind of ditzy and that's just part of who I am. But they played that up in the show and they wanted me to play that up in the show. Right. For, you know, interest or whatever. She's like, and that's fine. Whatever. It was funny. People laugh. It's great. Yeah. But so this memoir came out earlier this year and I listened to the audio book, which she reads And she kind of talks about her life in small town Texas in the South growing up in churches and what it was like to be in like the evangelical Christian music entertainment circuit as a young and attractive woman and like the damage that that kind of did to her. And then how she carried that on through like the rest of her career, never feeling like she was pretty enough or skinny enough or anything enough for anybody. Uh, She tells it all with lots of humor. So it's not a sad memoir by any means, but she did go through some struggles, like her marriage to Le- Nick Lachey fell apart and she had her fated relationship with Tony Romo. And, you know, and it's part, the last part of the memoir is her talking about how she's overcome her substance addiction to deal with her depression and mental illness. Wow! So like I said, it's the subjects in the book aren't necessarily happy, but she's funny. And so it, it was actually a, a nice listen. It was enjoyable to listen to, even though sometimes the subjects got kind of heavy. Anyway, I recommend it. And she reads it herself, and it felt very authentic.
0: Well, that sounds pretty good. Like, it sounds like there's a happy ending. Yes. Happy-ish. Yeah. And you're you're getting it from her. Yeah. So, point made.
1: Also, it was a little bit gossipy tabloidy, right? So, she's, like, talking about (laughs) behind the scenes with Nick Lachey or behind the the scenes at the Mickey Mouse Club auditions where she got beat out by Christina Aguilera. Oh.
0: Drama. Should have... Hit her with a pipe or something <laughs> her kneecaps. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I think that, somebody did that. I've seen that book come through. I was wondering if that was...
1: It was enjoyable. Okay. It was, it was amusing. And like I said, she she tells the stories with a lot of humor and a little bit of self-deprecation. She, okay. You know, like, it was, it was enjoyable.
0: Well, all right, so I tried something different. I tried a graphic biography. I've seen them here in the collection, but I've never... I've never seen one that was interesting enough for me to pick up, but on Hoopla, I found The Twilight Man, Rod Serling, and The Birth of Television by Corin Shadme. Uh You know who Rod Serling is, right? I do not. He he wrote and created The Twilight Zone. Well, now I know. Hence, The Twilight the to- Man. Right, the,
1: the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, um...
0: Honestly, I, I kind of got this by accident. I didn't realize I borrowed it, but then when I borrowed it, I went ahead and, and started reading it and realized that this wasn't for kids. This was an adult graphic about his life, and it touched on aspects that I was really surprised came out, particularly his four-pack of cigarettes a day habit and all his extramarital affairs. It's got those aspects as well as a lot of violence depicted during his uh time in world war ii and then some rough language but if you're older and you like the twilight zone and you're interested in learning a little something about rod serling i I don't think there's a better primer uh than the twilight man rod serling and the birth of television it's a graphic on hoopla that's kind of cool yeah uh again i was surprised i've seen them here and you know not interested in any of the ones that we would have but then uh I've read a lot about Rod Serling, and he, he did have uh, quite an interesting life. But uh, this one was pretty good. I, I, I recommend it.
1: Okay. I've got one last thing to talk about from Hoopla. Okay. Um, it's a book series recommendation for kids. Okay. Most people have probably heard of it. It got my 10-year-old reluctant reader to read. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so it's the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan. I'm sure you working in a library, shelving books, cleaning books, putting books on carts. You see those books everywhere all the time. There's a bunch of them. They start with The Lightning Thief. There are several series that follow different characters that Percy, the main character, meets along the way. So you've got your main Percy Jackson series, and he meets so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so now has a series. So there's a couple of those. And they meet it back up with Percy Jackson and his, like, band of friends here and there. I've listened to a couple with my son. I haven't read any all the way through. But they're quick. They're fast-paced, action-packed. They have relationship problems, just like most books for that age group are going to have. Like How to Be a Friend. It's a little bit more sensationalized because they're demigods with powers. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're they're full of action. There's a pin that turns into a sword, like... It's it's crazy, and it got you know if you have a ten year old who maybe doesn't think they like to read, or books are boring, maybe toss a Percy Jackson audiobook at them when they're just messing around and see if it piques their interest. Okay. So they're all on a bunch of a bunch of Percy Jacksons are on Hoopla. Not all of the other series are on Hoopla.
0: But I do like the covers. The covers look like the kind of books I would have been gravitated towards. Right.
1: There's always, that like, a kid with a sword yeah. riding a wave Monsters. into a big explosion. Yeah,
0: it's, I can see where he would probably get into it. Yeah,
1: and so he, like, runs around with a sword listening to his Percy Jackson book.
0: Cool. Well, I've got two Christmas picks from Overdrive. The first one that I found was called Christmas Tales of Terror. And this one, I just thought this was going to be great. Christmas Tales of Terror by Chris Priestley. We got a skeleton wearing a Santa hat. Now, that to me, that cover...
1: I would have picked that for you.
0: Yeah, that cover writes a check.
1: Yeah. Did it cash?
0: No. Oh. So,
1: is it just like tales of going to Walmart and then being out of condensed milk for your pumpkin pie? That or would have been
0: way more exciting than what I got. <laughs> oh, this is basically no. a collection of seven Christmas horror stories that forgot the horror. Uh, this is for people who like to read scary stories that aren't scary. <laughs> and while... It's written well enough. I I got about three pages in and then started to suspect that this was written for children, not brave enough to read real horror stories. And Chris Priestley, I think, is a writer of young adult and juvenile. So I got sucker punched. I was going
1: to say, were you like duped into checking this one out? Yes. Yeah, so this was <laughs>
0: the first thing I checked out from OverDrive. So it's very hard for me to trust OverDrive.
1: It's not OverDrive's
0: fault. Well. Uh, I read it all because I borrowed it. Uh, it's a quick enough read. There's just no payoffs, you know. I like my Christmas horror dripping with crazy Santas, rabbit elves, and Krampus spiking the punch at the office party. It's rooted more into the ghost stories told at Christmas time. So certainly, if if you want to read something like that, Christmas Tales of Terror is probably what you want. It's okay. not. It's not. It's not scary. It's maybe mildly creepy if you're like five. But probably if if somebody reads one and then wants to tell one to the kids around the fireplace, that's probably pretty good stories to do that. So,
1: do you know much about like the tradition of telling ghost stories on cr- at Christmas time? I don't. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it's apparently a thing. And like the scary ghost stories line or whatever, what Christmas song is that from? It's long, long ago. It's
0: the best time of the year.
1: It's the most the most wonderful time of the
0: year. I don't know the name. Why
1: did we not? I think it's the most wonderful time of the year.
0: Was that the name of the song? I don't know. Okay, should we fact check that? Nah.
1: Okay, it's like at least back to Victorian times, and probably back to even before that. Like maybe even. Like pagan times it's dark, it's spooky, it's cold, it's bleak no I've I've never
0: understood that uh, why ghost stories are a part because it's the it's the part of Christmas I was always most interested in but no one else was
1: well, you know I don't know why we moved away from that, but apparently the tradition of holiday ghost stories goes much much farther back than even Ebenezer Scrooge so. Telling spooky stories at Christmas time is like a thing that we've lost, but maybe you didn't lose. Yeah, no. But as a society, we don't really do anymore except for Christmas Carol. But that's like a thing.
0: Interesting. The other selection I got from Overdrive Rocky Mountain Christmas by William W. Johnstone and J.A. Johnstone. I believe that's a grandfather and grandson.
1: Writing pro- team, yeah, they're prolific.
0: Yes, well, I think that I think the older John Stone has passed away, and that the younger one is now writing. But they they collaborated on a lot of stuff for a lot of years. And this one, this one's a surprise. I, I read a lot of his books from years and years and years ago before he was writing, or they weren't westerns. He might have been writing westerns at the same time that he was doing some some horror novels. But uh, this one, there's a train headed to Colorado, and Matt Jensen's on it. He's headed to Sugarloaf Ranch to see his friends Smoke and Sally for Christmas. Duff McAllister, a Scotchman, is also at the Sugarloaf Ranch for the holiday with his bagpipes.
1: I just want to interject here that Rob can't read this with a straight face. So I'm not sure about the buy-in on this book.
0: This, First of all, this is very serious. Okay. All right. So Sally is famous for her bear claws. Also on the train are Jenny McCoy, a widow who was a hostess at a house of ill repute. She didn't do anything. She just talked to gentlemen. But she was forced to get into some incriminating photos, and she was run out of town for being a lady of the night. Also, there's nice guy, Luke Sheridan, and he was framed for murdering a crooked deputy who tried to rob him. Senator Jared Daniels, his wife, Millie, and their sick daughter, Becky, who is way more sick than her father wants to admit. There's an outlaw, Santelli, who's being taken to another town to be hanged. He's being taken there by crooked Sheriff Proxmire, who's dirty, dirty, dirty. And then there's a trio of banditos who've been hired by Santelli's half-brother to spring them off the train. After the characters are introduced, the setup is simple. A horrible snowstorm is moving in, and it's going to stop the train, dead in its tracks, stirring up all these characters. Basically, this is a disaster story meshed with a Christmas western story with bear claws, and so far I am loving it. This is everything I love in a story. It's got. Characters with great names. Duff McAllister, I think I'm going to just start using that as an alias. Okay. Smoke Jensen, that's a man's name. But the train is eventually going to get stuck in a snowstorm, and of course, you can kind of see all these different. This is just like Poseidon Adventure or Airport '77 or any of those great disaster movies from the <laughs> '70s. Okay. This is exactly. I mean, but it's, with cowboys. But with cowboys okay. at Christmas, and so I'm digging it for what it is, and that's a Rocky Mountain Christmas. I think we actually have this in the in the catalog. If somebody wants to read the actual book, it's a it's a newer one. I think it was from 2016. Okay. But uh, William W. Johnstone, J. Johnstone, Rocky Mountain Christmas. I'm enjoying it for what it is a disaster Western set at Christmas time. All right. That's a lot of good reading.
1: That book has a lot of checks that it <laughs> may or may not cash.
0: I don't know why I'm so silly, but yeah, um, I was just excited to talk about that one. I that can one tell. just had everything.
1: Well, those are some, some things you can check out on our online offerings with Hoopla or Libby or Overdrive. You can check out ebooks and audiobooks. What do we got coming up in the next couple of episodes, Rob?
0: Well, everybody definitely wants to check out the next episode, which is our big holiday special. And I'm not using those, I, they haven't created words big enough for what we have planned for the holiday special, don't you think? Sure, I'd say <laughs> for what we did with the Halloween special, I think our holiday special it's going to be huge. It's going to be a new tradition that families all over the world are gonna they're gonna listen to this show every Other year around the
1: Christmas tree, kids.
0: That's right. It's time to listen to the to the holiday special of two librarians walking to a shelf, and it's nothing that we've ever done before. It's uh, how, how much should we tell everybody? It's um, It's a special guest.
1: Yeah, we got a special guest, maybe from the hereafter.
0: Again. Yeah. Because they work cheap. They do. And they tell a story. They do. A a classic, tender story uh, about the time, about the season. Yeah. Maybe the reason for the season? Maybe. So that's going to be a special show, and... We're going to try
1: to get that early so everybody can get a chance to listen to that before Christmas Day.
0: So it's a special show, going to come out on the 22nd, hopefully. It's a holiday story, and uh, I think it's going to be fun. And it's not the normal podcast. It's going to be kind of shorter, so you can listen to it a lot more. (laughs) You're probably going to want to listen to it and then share it with all your friends. So feel free to send links to it all over the world.
1: Listen two or three times.
0: Yeah, please.
1: (laughs) All right. So
0: this is basically our last show of the year. This is our last show for 2020.
1: It's been quite a ride.
0: It has been. I mean, the podcast has been fun. Something neither one of us ever anticipated that we were going to get to do. No. We're assuming we're going to keep doing it in 2021. Our contracts come up.
1: <laughs> we would like to renew those. <laughs> we are. I am definitely enjoying this. This is um, this has been one of the great things to keep me going this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's been a weird year. Let's just say it.
1: It has been a weird year.
0: So do we want to reflect on that?
1: Yeah, let's take a few minutes and just reflect on the weirdness of 2020, because I think you and I both have some thoughts on that.
0: Yes. So 2020 has been a different year, and it's been a year that's affected everybody. We've been in this for the whole year, pretty much. Uh, It kind of hit us, and we got out of here in March, April, and then – came back and everything has been different, and some people have weathered it okay, some people haven't, and it, it, in the last couple of days, with things that are going on in my life, I'm kind of seeing some similarities, and so I think that 2020 has been a good reminder that life is always going to have different plans for us than we have for ourselves, would you yeah. say that's probably pretty true?
1: Yeah. What's the, the line from the John Lennon song, Beautiful Boy? Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans?
0: Yes. Oh, perfect. So no matter what we have planned, um, something always is going to come up, and it's going it's to change us, and then our life is going to take a different journey. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do to change that. And so this is something that I've experienced roughly 10 years ago and my whole life changed when I lost my spouse, my first wife, and we had plans and we had a life that we were living and then when she was gone there was really no life left and I had to re I had to learn how to live again, you know. So this is a very extreme But I think people face this kind of stuff all the time. And uh, you can lose a spouse. You can lose a loved one, someone close, uh, a divorce, a breakup of any kind. You can lose a job and all your security has gone. And now you're forced to deal with something that you never even really wanted to think about happening. Yeah. And you do it. You know, eventually you do it. So I've noticed in 2020 that that's happened on a grand scale. Like, this has happened all over the world. Yeah. And I'm comparing what I went through and what I've seen other people go through. This isn't special to me. We all have these challenges sooner or later. If you live long enough, you're going to go through all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think that the entire planet more or less is going through grief together because I'm seeing all the stages of grief. Yeah all the way across and it's everything that I experienced and dealt with and I see it in patrons coming in I see it in my coworkers. I see it in my family and everybody deals with it separately I mean there's denial yep there's anger sure we've seen a lot of that (laughs) definitely there's that bargaining that you know I just can't wait till things get back to normal or
1: There, there has to be an explanation like it's totally understandable why people cling to conspiracy thinking when they're going through hard times are grief right it's easier to believe something has orchestrated this than to believe it's all up to chance
0: right oh yeah definitely definitely uh there's depression which well sure i mean that's that's part of grief and that can kind of come and go anytime i mean even when we were out around thanksgiving that was just a scary like oh man i can't believe this happened boom i was depressed i'm stuck in the spare bedroom just me and a bunch of dvds and a box of wine and i'm like uh and then the last stage of grief is acceptance. Mm-hmm. And we're all going to have we're all going to get there.
1: We'll figure out how to move on from this. And probably some of us have better coping mechanisms when it comes to dealing with grief than others. Right. Just depending on your personal experiences with how much grief you've had to experience in your life.
0: And I think that some of our younger people haven't had as much to have to deal with. Right. So they don't have that you know, I didn't have a whole lot but I had lost grandparents and mm-hmm. uh, my father and you know you learn, you know I'd lost jobs, I'd lost opportunities, you learn, it's all life experience, it's all perspective. Yeah. But I don't think that anyone's really looked at what's going on in this way, but this is what I kind of have recognized and we've talked about it, yeah. thought it was you know, I think that there is this mass grief uh, going on. And a lot of people, I don't know. I mean, it's just something that we're not taught how to handle.
1: And, and I don't think it's a widespread, like let's, let's take it back to say September 11th, 2001. There was a mass grief that happened at that Absolutely. point, right? Like the United States was grieving for a loss of security, you know, a loss of its people. Um, and it was a mass grief event, but it was a singular event. And we knew we were all experiencing a grief of sorts. And I don't think necessarily that everyone is acknowledging that we're feeling this profound sense of grief and loss for this year. And that's probably what has us so exhausted. Like we've lost normalcy. We may have lost lives. We may have lost jobs. We may have lost... You know, vacations that you planned for for a really long time, things, you know, your kids, maybe you looked forward to your kids graduations and you didn't get that or your kids were looking forward to any number of events and they weren't there. Um, And I don't think there's a widespread acknowledgement that what we're experiencing is grief.
0: Uh, And that's weird because it it, like it's all there, like every stage of it is is here and. I hope that it's recognized at some point. Yeah. Because it's, you know, this is, you know, (laughs) there's been a huge loss of normalcy this year. Mm -hmm. And it's got everybody off kilter. And everyone's dealing with it different. Like you always hear that people deal with grief differently. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that. Yes. I mean, so it's.
1: (sighs) And grief isn't linear.
0: No. Not at all.
1: No. It will sucker punch you.
0: It'll come right up on you when you think it's not there and just you're like, bam. Yep. And the stages
1: aren't linear either. So you can get to one stage and you're like, I'm getting better. And then you're going to just get knocked back to another stage.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can get all the way up to acceptance and say, this is the way it is. And we're going to move forward and things are going to change and everything's going to be good. And then and then you're angry. There's anger. That's the one I was going to go to. Yep. That's. So, anyway, I, you know, I hope that's worth something to somebody, uh, some people that are listening. Yeah. Um, I can say that we've changed what we do here. Mm -hmm. And this podcast is something. And I know we've heard from people who have enjoyed stuff, who've connected with stuff we've said. Yeah. We've, you know, maybe succeeded Mm -hmm. in in reminding you of some Mm -hmm. memory that you hadn't had in a while or just got you to laugh when you maybe didn't want to laugh, or turned you onto a book or a movie or anything. And this is this gave has you been
1: permission a, to accept your comfort, yeah. And there's no more guilt, instead of feeling guilty. We got about we that. literally
0: got rid of guilt this no year. More guilt. guilt is gone. I haven't heard anybody say that since we did that podcast. At
1: least not in this branch.
0: Not here. <laughs> no way. So you know, we just keep on rolling. You know, we just keep making it up as we go. It's kind of like Indiana Jones, who I've always kind of thought I was like. Mm-hmm. I've stopped shaving. But no one can tell because when I'm wearing my mask, it's not there. And then I take it off and everyone freaks out.
1: Do you want to talk at all about how once you get past, like, when you start to move through your grief, you end up in your new normal? Sure. Okay. So uh, 11 years ago or so, I lost a pregnancy. And a piece of advice a friend of mine gave me at the time that made me angry was that don't try to get back to your old normal. You have to try to find your new normal. And at the time I hated that so much, but that was the best piece of advice that anyone gave me about grief. And it's helped me so much through other situations since then. And I think that's what's keeping me from mourning so much of life pre-pandemic is knowing that there will be a new normal. It won't be the same, but there will be a new normal.
0: Yeah, I you know, I hated hearing that, the new yeah. normal. Like, I didn't want a new normal. No. Everything was great the way it was. Right. People say some things, I don't know, to connect, to comfort, and they, and they miss. Like, what I hated was when anyone said, I can't even imagine what you're going through. Oh, my God, for somebody that has just experienced some kind of loss, mm-hmm. and then you tell them, And I'm not trying to be mean because I never, I said that to people, but until I was that person and somebody said it to me, you feel like you're on an island and no one, you know, you can't even imagine. Well, now this year.
1: We're all going through it together.
0: You can't imagine what it's like for your life to be so so totally turned upside down Mm -hmm. that you don't even recognize your life. This is what it was like. So everybody can kind of imagine that. We will get a new normal and no, we didn't want it. No. You don't want the new normal. You wanted it the way it was going, but um, we don't decide those things. Nope. We just keep going, and I feel like you have to keep going. I don't think that anything is worth getting stuck, and it's easy to get stuck. I got yes. stuck a lot. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even realize you're stuck, and somebody will say, hey, man, I thought, you know, right. whatever. We're all in this together. We're all going to get through it. There's a new normal waiting for us. We don't know what that is. We're making it up as we go. I <laughs> don't Uh, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I was given was from a classmate, a classmate from middle school and maybe high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, She just contacted me and, and she had experienced a loss and she told me, just let that grief flow through you. Do not do anything to try to stop it. And as a dude, you Mm -hmm. know, dudes kind of feel like oh i can't show any emotion i was pathetic i would cry i'd That's be okay. at work and cry if i i would be driving home and cry it was years later and it was at christmas time and everyone was there and i would cry sucker punch yeah
1: yeah if i, I
0: didn't i can't imagine what how bad it could have gotten trying to bottle that up right so if you're feeling angry, it's normal. Yep. If you feel sad or depressed, it's normal. You know, all this is normal. And, and you got to
1: feel your feelings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. you just
1: got to lean into them.
0: I don't think anybody's going to say that you can't cry if you need to cry or go break a bottle in the driveway as long as you clean it up and you don't throw it at somebody. Sure. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. 2020 is a, is a year that I, I hope people have learned something from. And just decide to be better for it. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're going to say goodbye <laughs> to 2020. We've got a super special holiday episode. Holiday episode, super fun. We hope everybody listens to that. Share it with your family. Again, it's not going to be a long podcast. It's coming out Christmas week. We don't want to take you away from your family and your fun. It's it's. <laughs> I think it's just as good as the Halloween Variety show.
1: It's definitely special.
0: Yeah. So we'll be back in 2021 and we've already got a special guest that'll be talking to us on the first episode, which will be out on January 1st. January I believe. 1st. Yep. So, yeah. First
1: episode of the year on January 1st, we're talking to a coworker about his work as a self-help author and, and motivating yeah. others to be their best selves. So that's what we've got coming for you.
0: He's got amazing energy. He's yeah. he's that one guy here at the branch that's always like Come on, we can do this. Let's do this. Go, go, go. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to sit down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's Marquez, though. Shout <laughs> yeah. out to Marquez.
0: I think that's it. Uh, yeah. We will leave you with this last thought. No matter what they tell you, no matter what they say, don't, don't trust robots. robots. Bye. Bye. The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project.